Chilas. I'm AJ. It's Jim here. And we are sitting in a new location. It's not... Yeah, we talked about a new studio for a while, but now we're, we're It's a sitting. mobile studio. <laughs> That's right. And actually, even our it's microphone is sitting on your knee rover. <laughs> yeah, so I had foot surgery last week, so I'm hobbling around on one foot or scooting around on one foot. And right now, the mic is sitting on my knee scooter. What I think is so. fun is when you've scootered into a different room, and then you turn around and you sit on it. <laughs> it's awesome. It's like it's, AJ's bringing his you, own you chair. You bring your own chair, and it's it's kind of fun. I mean, it, it kind of makes me want to... I You know, if somebody else had one, we could do some races down the hallway or something like that. Don't tempt me. <laughs> so, How do you but feel? Then we might How, end up how's more, it feel? Uh, good. Um, yeah, got another week or maybe two, something like that, of not walking, but I'm a week out from surgery right now. Foot's feeling great. Really, I haven't had any pain since that day. And, uh, I mean, if I step on it, it would hurt. Yeah, we'd, we prefer you just to continue <laughs> that streak. We're just letting it heal right now. Uh, you know, there's if I touch it, there's kind of some tingly nerve, you know, feels like you're at the dentist kind of kind of action going on. But healing up. That's great. Yeah. And that's great. Well, I'm glad that hopefully it's the men that you've been waiting on. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to walking normal again. That's right. But maybe for a while, so, people will just show up just so they can see you wheel your way through the facility. That's right. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. Well, we talked about just some small things we could mention. You know, that was not planned. but uh, So this Sunday, we yeah. were presented with a need that we were able to respond to, thankfully, from one of the churches in our presbytery. So yeah. uh, we got a, I got a phone call yesterday from a pastor of one of the small churches in our presbytery. It's a rural, basically a rural church. Uh-huh. And the pastor, their only pastor, had yeah. to respond to a family health need and had to leave town immediately and uh, won't be back before Sunday. And so, you know, that's pretty cool. You've done some pulpit supply, but mm-hmm. we got we got the call because they thought, man, Christ Community's got some guys who are a new, a new intern. Right. We're positioned to serve with multiple pastors. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what's yeah. that, what would you add to that just description? Of, no, it's, I mean, it, you know, I'm thankful for uh, just the relationship and connectivity that right, they would reach out to us, thankful that the Lord has given us a, a bullpen, if you will, to, to pull from. And, um, you know, I've, I've preached at, I guess, I think two other, I think just two other churches locally, but I've preached at both of them twice. Um, and it, it is a blessing. I mean, it's, it's different. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's every every local church is its own context. It's got its own people. It's got its own culture. You know, there's differences, but there's um, a lot of connection and commonality, and it it is enjoyable to get to go to another congregation and serve them in a, a great need that they have. Because right, without this, uh, and, and there's others that he could ask, but right, they need somebody to come preach the word Sunday. Yeah. And you know, one of their elders could do it, but it's great to have. I think that one of the, it, it could be things like our podcast or, or even just lately because of our Presbyterian meetings, we've had you stand up for your ordination. Uh-huh. We've had Troy stand up and come under care and yeah. start his internship, which is all through our church, obviously. But our Presbytery, which is a smaller Presbytery, mostly of smaller churches, not yeah. all, but it's probably been pretty neat for the Presbytery to see multiple individuals that represent Christ's community that are in right. teaching roles or leading right. roles. Um and so it was very special to have him call and say, hey, we're already on our way. Yeah. And I'm just beginning the process to find someone to fulfill the pulpit for Sunday. And uh, I just, he said, I trust you guys. 
And so that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Um, and so just if, if you add these things to your prayers, um, do pray for Pastor Bill. He's going to, he was able to just say, yes, I can do that. So Bill will now be preaching at one of our Presbyterian churches, which is really cool because Bill has done that at different of the churches for many, many, yeah, many years. Yeah, he's got such a connection and history with them. And a shepherd's know, heart churches. in those yeah. moments. And so yeah. I'm really That's thankful great. for that. And then they have a Sunday evening service that it might work out for Troy to preach that night. Yeah. So um, yeah. I'm thankful. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. And just in case any listeners are listening, <laughs> I guess they're listening, but <laughs> have a question. When you say Presbytery, what does that mean? Okay. I mean, just in case somebody's coming from a... Well, well you know. done, yeah. Presbytery, <laughs> uh, context is everything, contextualized. Uh, the word pres- presbytery derives from presbyteros. It's a Greek word which is the word for elder. And so the presbytery is our regional gathering of elders that are comprised of both the pastor, teaching elders, as well as the ruling elders. Yeah. Um, and we meet regionally three times, three times a year. A year. Yeah. And we navigate shepherding situations as relate to any of us individual pastors or relates to any of our individual churches. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense of obligation and desire to support one another. So, yeah. of course, if we were an autonomous independent church and and a friend called and said, hey, do you have someone to fill the pulpit? We could do that. Right. But one small caveat, if if it's inside of our presbytery, we've made commitments to each other mm-hmm. to hold one another up, to support the worship and work of each local body to the best of our ability. Yeah. And we are one of the churches in our presbytery that has multiple individuals that might be able to fill a sudden right. need in right. a short-term yeah. situation like this. So yeah. thankful. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else before we jump in? No, let's. Uh, we we've got to get through one more genealogy, but we are about to land at what is probably. <laughs> you say that with such eagerness. Yeah, it's probably one of the more referenced <laughs> chapters in all of the Bible, not yeah, just all of Genesis. Yeah, very foundational. So we're almost yeah. to Genesis twelve. Yeah, so we got through eleven nine, right? Really, the end of the story of the Tower of Babel. We're gonna finish chapter eleven, uh, which I mean, in many ways, just transitions us to no, uh, sorry to Abraham. And then we're going to hit chapter 12, and uh, which, you know, hopefully is familiar to many of you. It's awesome. So um, the end of 11, starting in verse 10, we pick up with the, the line of Shem. Um, and so well, we, we heard back in chapter 10 um, really about um, sons of Ham, uh, the sons of Japheth, right? We learned a lot about Canaan. Uh, we get Shem in verse 21. And we get this story of the Tower of Babel, which takes place again in um, Shinar, uh, kind of Babylon area, which is one of the sons of Ham. So we kind of learn about that family line. Now we're going to pick it up, uh, switch to another son of Noah, go to Shem. And we get right multiple, I don't know, seven, eight, nine generations here that get us down to Abraham. To yep. Abram. Any Anything you want to add? I mean, there, we could say stuff, but... We could say, well, I think it's just important that if you are reading through your own Bible... I just want to encourage you to never skip this. Yeah, right. Like, we're going to skip it right now. (laughs) So, I guess, do as I say and not as I do. Um, But it is important to realize these are here, and I think it's just important to read the names to understand the the Scripture's record of these these families. And so, yeah, I just think I want to encourage you, if you ever read, don't just fly past them and say, oh, that's unimportant and it's not germane to me. Right. And it it underscores, I mean, there's a personal nature to this, and it underscores the historicity of it, too. Right? There's there's lineage, there's record, uh, those kind of things. Yeah. So we hit 27. Yep. And we move to the generations of Terah. Yep. uh, Because Terah would be a 
descendant in the long line of Shem, yep. right? And now we come to Terah, who fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. And so you have the names beginning to drop that we recognize from yeah. other narratives that we're going to look at in the in the right. book to follow. Right. A- Abram, I mean, he's going to be big, right? Lot is going to figure as well. Um, but what we find, right, is that one of the sons, Haran, died in the presence of his father while they're in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Um, and, I mean, I didn't look much into this, but it's, I mean, interesting, Chaldea, I mean, that's going to come up later in the Old Testament, um, kind of the, the area of Babylon related to that. And so, I'm Babylon is where we just were, chapter 11, with the Tower of, of Babel. And so, they're, they're up in that general area. Um, Haran dies, and then verse 29, Abram, Nahor, the other two sons, they took wives. Um, Abram marries Sarai, Nahor marries Milcah, um, but Sarai, verse 30, was barren. She had no child. Isn't that interesting? I'm so used to starting at 12.1. Here's an example of why we stick with the... <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting I helpful don't context. Think that if you asked me, hey, who was Abram's first wife? I'd say Sarah. Yeah. Who was Sarah's first husband? I would have said Abram, and that's not true, right? Am I not mistaken that she was, she was, is it implying she was married? I'm not tracking with you. Okay, never mind. No, because. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred. Okay, never mind. Nahor married his niece. I want to apologize. It's his niece. Can we? We're not rewinding this. We're committed to this. No, it's there. But this is this is how you know we did. like we're just we're talking through this on the fly. It's great. Oh man. But I, I mean, it, it is interesting though. This is where I thought you were going. Is um, we're where was I going, AJ? Early on, that she's barren. I mean, that yeah. you know, we're just introduced to the we're getting the family yeah. linkage here. But at, at the beginning of this, she's barren. Now, that's going to be huge throughout the next chapters. I mean, it's it's massive thing. So yeah. she doesn't have a child. Uh, but then we get to verse 31. So Terah, right, again, the father, takes the two remaining, or takes Abram and Lot, who is the son of Haran, so that's his grandson. He takes them, takes their family. They leave Ur, and they're going to the land of Canaan. But they, they come to Haran, they settle there. And, I mean, I, I didn't read on this, but perhaps Haran is the city that they named after his son Haran. I mean, that, that yeah. would make a lot of sense if that were the case. Then Terah is going to die there. Um, but it, it, it is noteworthy at this point that Terah takes his family with the intention of going to the land of Canaan. Doesn't make it all the way there. And then that's going to lead us in to 12.1. It's good. I'm sitting here being gun shy. I'm like, I'm not saying anything again because I was way off. Well, and as you're talking and you're summarizing well, I'm looking and going, why would I say that? Well, we got to be careful about any assumption we make of Scripture. Right. right? Yep. So I saw that Haran died in verse 28. 28 and then 29 Abram and Nahor took wives and my brain said this was common in the Old Testament is if, yeah. a, if a brother yeah, died, yeah, sure. if a brother died you would take the right. wife of the that he left and yeah. so and you're singing the right tune you're just what like 20 chapters ahead of <laughs> right right but I mean, show know, me that in the text yeah, right. yeah, this is where like in our workshops we're like is that in the text I'm here to say not in the text <laughs> But anyway, my mind did a little gymnastics there. So that's great. Yes. All right. So, but we come to twelve one. Twelve one. Twelve one to three. I mean, this is super foundational for the rest of the scripture. Um, let me just read it. Do it. Since it's so Do foundational. It. Yep. Now the Lord said to Abram, "Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, 
And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. What a calling for Abram. And what a glorious description by the God who called him. Yeah. It's astounding. Yeah. The things that stand out to me right Mm -hmm. away is... We'll see more of it here in a second, but you have a promise of a people. Yeah. Places already referenced. It's going to even get more explicit in a moment. Right. But God calls Abram to be one from whom he's going to form a people. Yeah, yeah. And so it's the beginning, really, of some language that is not just individuals independently honoring God, individual right. families independently honor God, but you're now going to have all the dispersed peoples, yeah. all the different nations, are going to experience and a, a blessing that comes through God forming a people. And people if it, that begin with Abraham. Yeah, and if we think about this against right the backdrop of what we've seen in one to eleven, right? We saw Adam was made as right, the father of humanity with Eve. They're to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Um, that didn't work out. God wiped out the world, restarted with Noah. In many ways, Noah was given that that same command, that same blessing. Um, and then even Abram here, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's different, right? But he, he's breaking from his country, his kindred, his father's house. I mean, there's a, a breaking with his past in this beginning of him being a new nation, right? A, a new people. Um, and so we see kind of that similar idea that God's redemptive purposes, um, he, he's not totally restarting with Abraham, but right, it's taken on a new chapter here with Abram. Uh, and it's for the earth, right? Similar to what we it's saw with broad, yep. Adam and Noah, right? It's it's for the whole earth, right? In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We'll read at the end of verse 3. Something that stands out to me here, AJ, is that there's a sense in which God is the acting agent here. He's the mm-hmm. one that goes to Abram. Abram. You know, Abram is the recipient. Yeah. But there is no passivity here. Yeah. For the very first thing that's said is, is go. Right. Like, right. go leave. Um, at this point, you could even say, we don't know in what way Abram knew the Lord prior to this moment. Yeah, right. We yeah, just know that told. there's yeah. authority in the words given, yeah. clarity in what's expected. Right. And then we read in verse 4, which is the next verse, so Abram went, yeah. as the Lord had told him, and he brought Lot with him. Um, but there's no passivity here. Right, right. He's an obedient servant called by the initiative of God. And, I mean, of course, we'll talk as we go moving forward, but we go all the way back to all these covenant promises. And this is one of the initial... It's a promise. Yeah. The covenant is not signed and sealed yet. That will come in the chapters that follow. But God's always the initiative maker. Yeah. Dangerously, we can say, well, then God just does things and we... Don't have a part in it. No, Abram had to obey. Yeah, yeah, Abram had to respond. Yeah. Right, and that's a in, in faith. His his faithful response is going to be big, right? In what we see, the the other thing I'll, I'll mention before we jump to four is, um, there's a, a just a collection of the word bless, right? In verses two and three, I'm going to bless you. You will be a blessing when I make your name great. I'll bless those who bless you. If anybody dishonors you, which would be the opposite of blessing, I'm going to curse him, which would again the opposite of blessing. All the families. So this idea of blessing is huge right here. Again, that that should take us back to Genesis one with Adam, Genesis uh, nine with 
with Noah, God's intention to bless through his people. Um, the other contrast we can see, too, is that um, in the Tower of Babel, their intention was to make a great name for themselves. God's promise to Abraham. Well observed. Right? That's, yeah. that's uh, verse 4 of chapter 11. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's be, be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Chapter 12, I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. So, so God's promise to Abram is, is directly parallel to what the men wanted to do with the tower. This is not, in, uh, it's not uh, an unobserved pattern in the scriptures where things that were wanted and desired potentially in an errant way by God's people, yeah, yeah, they became something they were not to be. They were not good. They were yeah. not of blessing because man did them for his own ends. Yeah. I think of Jacob wanting the blessing. Yeah. So we'll see that in uh-huh. obviously months to come. But he was deceptive in how he went about it. He never lived as though he'd received the blessing of God, but God in his... In his grace and mercy, he did bless him. Yeah. And, he, and, you know, we know that when he wrestled with him in chapter 32. You can look through all sorts of places in Scripture where the Lord will give that which is good. But if yeah. it was illicitly pursued right. or selfishly demanded, there's not a blessing to it. And so well observed, this is well, amazing. That, that's interesting because we, as we get into five, right, Abram and Sarah, Lot, they're, they're all going to leave. And it says they're going to take all their possessions that they had gathered, the people that they had acquired. They said, I mean, in the picture we get as we read more about Abram, like, he is a rich dude. God, he's loaded. Right? And, and, yeah. and even, you know, as we get more description of that, that just becomes more clear. But that, that's not a bad thing. I mean, God's promise to him is actually to make him a great man with a great name, with a great nation coming from him. And so God is, like you're saying, like God's granting some of those things for him in a special way. Um, Abram's not just pursuing wealth and right. prestige just to have it. Um, God's actually giving it to him as he follows him. It's and good. so verse 4, though, we read Abram 75. So we, we get this marker. He's 75, and they leave Haran. Um, they, they take all their stuff, and they, they come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then, verse 7, the Lord appears to Abram. Here we go. <laughs> and, and God says, to your offspring, I will give this land. And, and that's you know God's initial command back in verse 1. I'm, go to the land I'm going to show you. Abram gets there and God says, here's the land. Right to, the, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so Abram builds an altar in verse 7. I'm trying to look. I'm, I'm trying to see there in verse 8. I'm too slow because we do not We do this in real time. Yeah, there's a part of me that the I think I'm mixing in 1 Samuel when Saul hangs out by the oak. The, the oak, oh, yeah, it's, that's, yeah. that, that's completely different here yeah. than here. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, not seeing that. But you have the Lord appear again. Yep. And I think it's important for us to look back and think of the Lord walking through the garden pre-fall. Well, post-fall, excuse me. Yeah. Um, and then you have the Lord has appeared to Noah. Yeah. Right? Now he's appearing to Abram. To Abram. Yeah. We have God who condescends. Yeah. He descends and he condescends. Yeah. And we don't fully understand all that this means, right? I mean, right. it's glorious, though, the presence of God to his people whom he's giving plans for, declared promises... But he's personally present. Yeah. He's an imminent God. Yeah. Yeah. And let me, let's build on that. So in, uh, to finish out eight to nine, right? Abram moves to the hill country on the east of Bethel. He pitches his tent uh, with between Bethel and I. 
and there he built an altar to the Lord, called upon the name of the Lord. Uh, Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Um, but we've talked about this before. Um, if we think about the historical context of what we're reading. So the historical context is the historical setting, historical circumstances of the author and his audience. And so if Moses is writing this to the people of Israel as they're on the verge of entering the land of Israel, and this is fascinating to, for them to know that their forefather was called, and he actually went. Like he, he came to the land of Canaan, and when he was there, the Lord appeared, and then he builds kind of a, a rudimentary sanctuary, yeah. a rudimentary temple in the form of an altar, and offers worship to God. I mean, it's it's parallel to what they're getting ready to do. It's so true. That they're going to go into the land, and, and what you were saying, right? God's God's presence is signified there, right? God is present with Abram. He's going to be presence with his people when they cross over the Jordan and, and dwell with them, right? In the, in the tabernacle and then in the temple. So it's just interesting to see that uh, kind of foreshadowing here. So foreshadowing, you know, we're going to see Abram. He will call on the name of the Lord at certain times through his, through his life, through yep. his interactions with yep. God. We see it very early in chapter 13, and we'll get there when we get there. But one of the things that gives me pause is just to think about, obviously, he obeyed and went. Uh-huh. Then when he arrived and experienced the Lord's presence, it was yeah. it was an act of worship that he did initially upon the revelation that he received yeah. from God. Yeah. And I do think about the church today. I think about our calling today. I think about how... By the Spirit in us, we can and we should be groaning all the time, worshiping all the time. This constant stream of worshipful thoughts as well as words given to God. But I think it's good to just pause and say, hey, if God leads any of his children through different, past different signposts in life, different seasons, what is our tendency? Is our tendency just to be a people who say, I'm going to stop, call on the name of the Lord, praise him, worship him. Trust him because apparently he's led me to close one chapter and start another or right. whatever the case may be. Right. Now, that's maybe different than ending up in the promised land. Yeah. But it is not that different to say that when we are providentially led by God, do we have a pattern, a habit of mm-hmm. rehearsing mm-hmm. the greatness of God? Yeah. Or do we tend to immediately go into where are we going to send the kids to school? You know, or what are the stressors now of actually establishing a new home in a new yeah, place? Yeah. All which Abram must have felt. Yeah. Yeah, that's super helpful because what's, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times in in scripture, I'm just saying in, in not scripture, like just stories, right? They're, they're, the story is, is selective, it's shortened, right? You're not getting every second <laughs> told in it. But what's highlighted about Abraham in this chapter is he responds with obedience and then he responds with worship. Right, and in, in that way, he is a, a model for us in, in all of life, whether, you know, whatever those circumstances are, that we should respond to God with obedience to his call and with worship, right, at his, his presence and provision and, and all of his redemptive work in us and, and through us. And so, you know, I, I think he's, it's a helpful model, right, to, yeah, to totally. emulate there. Totally. Um, the other, uh, well, let, let me jump. So, Galatians. Um, you mentioned earlier this is this passage is right foundational cited uh, it, it really is built on throughout scripture. Well, in Galatians, uh, this is what Paul says. Um, it says, "Know then, this is Galatians three seven. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed, which is what we just read. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, I, I find it fascinating to see that Paul looks back at Genesis 12, 1 to 3 and says, that was the gospel. Right? <laughs> I mean, it, it begs the question, how big of a definition of the gospel do we have? Yeah. yeah. Now, we can't have an unlimitedly large gospel where we would actually change the merit and the description of what it is. But you got to have a big understanding of the gospel to say, Genesis 1 to 3, where God says, I'll make... Well, well let me... Where's the word there? Um, uh, in you and shall you, all the nations be yeah. blessed. If the New Testament is going to call that the gospel, then inherent in it is that man does not save himself. Yeah. That God right. is a God who initiates. That God is a God who redemptively provides. That God is going to cover that which is required that would then make it so one is undeserved in experiencing the blessing of God. All those things, they're not explicitly stated here. Right. But as part of the gospel that's taught, the apostolic gospel that's taught in the New Testament, they must be embedded in that or yeah. at least strung uh-huh. Connected to it. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's pretty awesome, though. Yeah. It's, uh, and, you know, personally, that's helpful because that that makes very clear to us that we're, we who have faith in Jesus, right? We're in verses 1 to 3 of ch- chapter 12. Like, this is very personal for us, right? In Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul says, well, if we've joined ourselves in faith to Christ, then we've received that blessing. We are the nations, right, that, that, that are being foretold right. there. Um, and so we know that Abraham's story is is really our story. Yeah, which we are going to spend many, many, many weeks and months talking about. But ultimately, the promise of Jesus is, is actually in 12, 1 to 3. Yeah. The yeah. blessing that is being described here is not Abraham's wealth that's going to just, you know, right. by generation be passed on and people will have more ease than otherwise. I'm right. Just, I'm making that right. up. But it's, it's got to be Christ. Yeah. And, and it's got to be atonement. And, and this helps us too, that because as over the next couple chapters, uh, one of the things that's going to be emphasized with Abraham is God's promise of a people and a land and lineage, right, and, and all this stuff. But if Paul says that he, the very beginning of God's call to Abraham is actually about salvation in Christ, then we know that the promises aren't just about a physical land. Correct. In the Middle East. Right, it, it's it's more than that. It can't be already from the very get go, yeah. and so that 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 helps us as we read going forward. So, uh, related to that, another thought is: may we not be caught saying that the gospel really showed up when Jesus mm-hmm. showed up. Mm-hmm. The gospel is Christ, and all the New Testament writers reflecting on what Christ did and what it means. Yeah. No, you have Paul here saying. The gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. Yeah. The gospel that we call the good news was given by the Lord who showed up and spoke to Abraham. That's incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, we believe there's one single storyline of the gospel. There's one single covenant of grace, which we will unpack in the weeks and months to come. But we should savor its pre-form, its mm-hmm. early forms, yeah. as we understand yeah. the fullness. Yeah, and I think it's... Palmer Robertson, maybe somebody else is in it too, but they, they talk about right the covenant of grace as we read it throughout Scripture. Um, that it's like a it's a single flower, right? There's no multiple flowers, multiple covenants of grace, but 
that that flower blooms as we go throughout scripture and so as we get here with Abraham we're the you know those petals open up just a little bit more and they're gonna open up more as we read more and more um I've got a question that I want to throw at you Do it. and that's the last thought I have but you I don't know if you've got more but um most of verses one to three is I mean it just sounds great yeah <laughs> but but there's there's one little spot that we, we we need to not just pass over so verse three God promises, I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And then he's, you know, kind of, in you all the families of the earth will be best. But how, we, we've talked about the blessing a, a good bit. How, how should we understand this cursing in, and, you know, if you want to connect that to, to Christ, and to, you know, if you want to go there, go for it. But how should we understand both sides of the coin here? Well, I think the only way to understand both sides of the coin <laughs> is the cross. Basically, those who are going to not honor the holy intent, the holy declared will of God, are those who actually are rejecting God. And the scriptures say that to reject God is to actually be liable to the judgment of God. That would be curses. So in this case, if God's chosen people are those who are going to be placing faith in the God of Abraham, uh-huh. which is the man who received a preform of the gospel, yeah. which is about God's redemptive plan for all the earth, if if his people who believe that are mocked and cursed and dismissed because they believe that, then all sin must be responded to in an appropriate way by a holy God, which is his wrath, his curse. So what I say by the cross is the cross is where God, in his kindness and mercy, actually bore the cost of sin. He bore the curse of sin for those who violated his holy law and will, who asked for yeah. His forgiveness, His mercy and grace, which ultimately are those who are experiencing the blessing promised to Abraham, yeah. for Christ was promised to be the seed of Abraham. So you, gosh, I, I know I'm, I feel like that's circular logic, but basically there is no part of the Bible where God sets aside His holiness mm. to say that those who don't quite do it the right way are just okay with me. Yeah. Now, yeah. Those who don't do things <laughs> according to my will are cursed by me. Yeah. For that is the standard of holiness that I yeah. have. And so... In this case, one to three, I think is is speaking about the collective people of God are so a part of the will and plan of God that those who curse them are cursing God Himself. Yeah. To curse God Himself is to be disowned and to be right. liable to the wrath that God's going right. to send. Yeah. If one cries out, "Forgive me, I don't want to be that way," then guess what? That person actually is going to have their curse for their sin covered by God's mm-hmm. sending of the seed of Abraham. Yeah. So it's amazing yeah. how circular it is, but yeah, and that's in. Galatians 3, as Paul continues, he, he cites another passage in the law about but uh, about us being under the curse of the law if we rely on the law. But then he says that Jesus became a curse for us. Yeah. Right? He, he takes that curse for us. Um, and so, right, for all of us who look in faith to Christ, Jesus became that curse so we could receive a blessing. And then the other side of it, right, those who um, remain um, stubborn in their sin, in their opposition to God, and not only in their opposition to God, but in opposition to God and His people. And His people. Um, yeah. and, and those are linked together. You can think of um, right in Acts when, when Jesus uh, confronts Paul. Paul's like, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. When you were persecuting my people. Yeah. And yeah. so like, there's this linkage that God has with His people. Right? It's, it's, it, he's in covenant with them. And so um, if, if those who oppose God's people, and that, I mean, you can kind of think of that throughout the Old Testament too. There's all these instances where other nations or other peoples oppose God's people. And it doesn't go well for them, usually. Um, sometimes God is punishing his own people. But um, 
Yeah. I mean, we, we've got to align ourselves with God and with his people. Um, and there are examples of people who were, of Egypt, for example, who whose Pharaoh was opposed to God, yeah. but who upon the Exodus, yeah. they left with God's people for they actually found his arguments they for joined. himself rather compelling yeah. as they <laughs> saw the plagues. And they, yeah. they joined themselves with the people of God. So you have... Again, and they receive the blessing that's coming boom, to the nations. Always. Yeah. So the threat of curse is part of the story of God's gospel. Yeah. For He paid the curse. Yeah. But the reality of being um, outside of the curse, by means of being joined together with God's people, is is a promise of mercy and grace that is never. I mean, it's just both sides of the coin. I guess. Yeah. So. Yep. It's good. Man. It's great. All right. Anything it, else? Well, I've been waiting till we got to chapter 12 and we start the actual <laughs> commonly studied chapters in the book of Genesis. So it's going to be kind of fun. We'll have yeah. story after story. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. We might, you know what we might want to do What's that? In, in the future is we might even want to just remind people that one way to read is plot arc and we can go through some of that next yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. How especially do, as we're getting into narratives. How do great. we study narrative? Yeah, yep. we can maybe do that next time. All right. Or we'll forget and do something else. But. <laughs> You'll listen to it next, but this week. I do. I, I often remember. try to listen to it. And just like, what just happened? <laughs> All right. Well, until next week, go in the blessings.